Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Today is all about the Ikikai Method. You might be saying, what is Ikikai? Well, it's a good question. I only heard of it about 12 months ago when somebody introduced it to me. For those that are familiar with it, you've probably seen like this Venn diagram. And basically what it is, is you've got four different areas. You've got what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. So basically it makes reference to passion, mission, profession, and vocation. However, there's a little bit of a misconception as to the accuracy of that. So today's guest is going to clarify that. He is a specialist, an expert in this area, a father, husband, a Japanologist, researcher, solopreneur, and author of Ikigai Can Feel a Life Worth Living. He's the founder and head coach of Ikigai Tribe, a small community of educators, psychologists, coaches, and trainers who serve their personal communities using the Ikigai Method. Welcome to the podcast, Nick Kemp. I thank hope you I for that. that. I <laughs> pronounce right. that correct? <laughs> getting, getting closer. So okay. thank you, Simon, very much for having me on. We had a, a great chat a few days ago. So I've, I've, I was thinking I've definitely met you before. So I was going to ask you, yeah. have you ever lived in Melbourne? But maybe we can talk about that after the podcast. You can see behind but... me, there's a little, you see the <laughs> yeah. AFL, we've got the horse. Yeah. yeah, so I've been there quite a few times for many yeah. premierships in past years. <laughs> so not Sorry, so much these days, yeah. but yeah, we're... Uh, Struggling a bit at the moment, but yeah. love Melbourne, always in Melbourne. So yeah, normally <laughs> you. Uh, you you grew up in Melbourne? Yeah, grew up in Melbourne. So um from the age of uh, eight. Yeah. Born in born in New South Wales, but yeah. But as you know, I also lived in ten uh, in Japan for ten years. So it's I pretty feel, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Just tell us your story because obviously you've you're so passionate about this concept and not just this concept, but the Japanese culture as well. And you even your wife's Japanese too, you speak the language. So it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. You've embraced the culture. How did this all come about, mate? Yeah, there is an interesting story behind it. My, my first trip was in 1977 when I was five. My father was a physicist and he was asked to share his research. So that involved traveling around the world. And one stop on the way was Japan. And I have some memory of that time in Japan. I think we were only there for five days, but I, I think my parents had to go out for dinner one night. So they got a, a babysitter for the hotel. And this lovely lady looked after me and my brother. And I think she folded origami and just played with us. And I think me and my brother also were running around the hotel in sort of ninja outfits or something. So I have these fond memories. So I guess that experience left a you know, positive, lasting impression. And then in the 90s, early 90s, uh, a lot of Japanese were coming to Australia and I was in hospitality, um, studying and, and working in hospitality. And there was this opportunity at the school I was studying at to do a one-year traineeship to Japan. And, yeah, I was awarded that with three others. And that was the trip that really opened my world opened me up to the world of Japan. So I went there for a year and worked in a chain of restaurants um, 
and yeah, sort of forced really to adapt and learn the language. And yeah, that was amazing. So I really fell in love with Japan then. And after that, I sort of came back to Melbourne and went back to teach English and eventually got married and then started my own school and um, yeah, spent about 10 years in total. But it's such a fascinating culture, um, so deep, mm. and you could live a thousand lifetimes and you still wouldn't understand it all. And it's so different to Australia, which I guess is fairly, very different. Um, and we don't really have a, a philosophy and um, different psychology, I guess, to to Jap Japanese culture. So... Yeah, really fascinating. That's interesting, man. I, I want you to talk about that a bit more because, you know, like culture, for me, culture is important. And my parents came from another country to Australia. There's a lot of culture that we've that's brought over there from the Italian culture that, that we, you know, still practice today. You know, that's almost become part of the Australian culture, really. <laughs> and so, obviously, culture is... Uh, it's important. How different was it and how how did you find it? Was it a bit of a culture shock for you when you first experienced it? I mean, it was, but in a very exciting, positive way. And I, I kind of have this expression, you know, the, the wonderful thing about Japan is that everything's different. And the frustrating thing about Japan is that everything's different. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. you know, so the food's <laughs> different and great. But then, I mean, I had so many bizarre experiences when I was sick and going to see the doctor and it was such a different way of um, treating health. Like they, they just always gave me the same medicine and I, I wouldn't be getting better and I'd be seeing a specialist and you'd have all these bizarre things that make you think, ah, oh, Japan's quite unusual or weird. But then most of the time it's just you're constantly learning, growing, um, you you had to also learn and adapt your behavior and learn to respect and appreciate the culture. And even if things were radically different or you felt were unusual, you kind of had to think, well, I'm a guest. It's time for me to adapt and learn. And I think as you mature and grow older, you you tend to do that more. But when you're a bit younger, you you kind of question things and challenge things so I definitely also learned to be yeah understanding accepting and very curious of of things but it was such a um, almost like a self-actualizing year that first year because you're learning a different language you're learning all these different philosophical concepts mm. because you're 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 going to temples, you're learning about Buddhism or Shintoism. And yeah, you're seeing people engage in a completely different way where there's less conversation. There's more concern for not causing trouble to others. Whereas in Australia, we, we probably don't even think about that. We just do what we want to do and mm. she'll be right, mate. And yeah, oh, look, I didn't mean to upset you to take it easy kind of mentality where in Japan, they're very aware of, um, how they interact and, and their social boundaries. And that can be a good thing, but it's also can be a bad thing for mm. Japanese because 
they often worry too much about am I infringing on someone or it puts a lot of pressure on them to so it's not all great you know that's what makes it interesting there's a lot of stuff that concerns me too about Japan and they have certainly unique social problems as well that we could talk about can you, can you give an example of that while we're on the topic what sort of social problems Sure. So there's one that's fascinating. Some of the listeners might have heard it. And if you Google this on YouTube, you'll find quite a few documentaries. It's called hikikomori. So the verb hiku means to pull and komori means to kind of cover. And so it's this severe form of social withdrawal where you have mainly young men or um, teenage you know, teenage boys, young men who have decided to not engage in society okay. and they basically lock themselves in their bedroom. This has been going on since the late 70s and you now have men who are in their 50s and they have not ventured outside for the past 30 years. Like literally they've not walked outside their house and they've just lived in their bedroom like a misfit teenager mm. and their parents just leave food at their door. They engage with the world only through the internet. And yeah, they've become this sort of dysfunctional person. And there's at least 2 million of these type of people that the condition and the person are both referred to as hikikomori. Mm. And yeah, it's astounding that these parents or that the these um, you know the government doesn't have programs to solve this issue. Yeah. It's become such a big problem. There's a problem within this problem called the they call it the 50-80 problem. So you have these men who are 50 and their parents are, you know, in their 80s, mm. and maybe one's died. And now because they're old, they need someone to support them. Yeah. And they don't have, you know, their their son who's usually the one, the oldest son would look after the parents, is completely dysfunctional and can't really look after them. And so there's this concern, I guess, in the next 10, 20 years of, you know, what's going to happen with that? Like, mm. So that's just um, a bizarre problem. I think you, you, we're both parents. So if our children spent a couple of days in their bedroom, you know, we'd be checking in what's going on. And if it was going on for a week, we would have them, would get professional help or we would drag them out and say, right, what is going on? Whereas in Japan, they kind of let them be until a month goes by, six months go by, a year goes by, and then they're like, well, we we can't solve it. Yeah, okay. So that's bizarre. That's... uh... (laughs) They actually call it the 50-80 problem. So this, yeah, this new problem within okay. the hikikomori problem. Yeah. Because it's it's like a time bomb. It's it's about to go off. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if if let's say that a parent dies in the mm. house, what's this person going to do? He won't know what to do. Mm. And, um that's right, yeah. So it's just, yeah, if you've got time and you want to see a few bizarre and interesting documentaries, Google Hikikomori and um, I'll, I'll give put it in the show notes. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. So, yeah, find one to, to put in there. But let's get back to the Ikigai concept for a sec, <laughs> right? Because I only got introduced to this about a year ago. And it was actually through a 
I was doing a podcast. It was my second podcast, I believe it was, with a guy from New Zealand, and he's a personal trainer. He's he runs childcare centers as well over there. So he's got he's very philosophical, and he actually brought it to my attention. And then it came up again last year. I did a course through one of my mentors, and he used it as far as you know finding that thing, you know, like that <laughs> thing that you can do. And so when I saw it, I was like, "Wow, this is pretty cool." Mm. And then, and to be honest, when I saw your profile and then you spoke about it and you said it's it's complete, you know, uh, misconception or part of it, at least, I was a bit disappointed. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's a bit disappointing because I was hoping that that was the case. But just tell us then, like, what is the misconception? Because the diagram, or you refer to it as the Venn diagram, pretty mm. much indicates what I said before, the passion, the mission, the profession, the vocation. And then there's like this sweet spot, pretty much. Yeah. They all come together and you live a happy life pretty much. Yeah, so that's, and that's, I understand why it's appealing. And I I definitely, when I first saw the Venn diagram, mm. I found it, oh, that's that's awesome, like a very inspiring model. So what people are sharing is the purpose Venn diagram. And there have been several in, incarnations or variations, and it's very hard to attribute exactly who came up with it because there's been three circle models there have been four circle models with slightly different variations but the one that's been used and merged with ikigai was created by a man called andreas suzunaga who's a spanish author and he's a astrologer and a counselor and it was inspired by natal charts and by the questions he was being asked in consultations. And then it got translated into English. Mm. And it, if you Google the purpose of Venn diagram, you'll find the same thing out there. And then one day a guy called Mark Wynn, who's become a friend of mine, he watched a TED talk on the blue zones. So those five zones where they have a high concentration of centenarians. And, and yep. one of those places is Okinawa or used to be Okinawa. It's actually not a blue zone anymore, um, unfortunately. And then the man delivering the TED talk, Dan Butner, who's a, you know, he's a great speaker. He's a, a national geographic fellow and a longevity expert. He said, you know, Okinawa, they have this amazing lifestyle. They eat largely vegetarian. They're very socially active. They, they don't exercise in the way we think of exercise as in going to a gym, but they're, they're constantly walking or getting up and off the, the tatami mats. And they have this amazing word um, that sort of imbues their whole lifestyle, kurihigai. And he, he spoke no more than a minute just on the word. And Mark Winford, oh, what a cool word and concept. And he thought, wouldn't it be cool to replace purpose with Ikigai? Okay. And that's that's how it came about. And I think the thing about any kind of Japanese word is it's got this mystery, mysterious um, flavor or uniqueness to it. And we seem to be attracted to things we don't fully understand. And so the key difference is where it's considered a sweet spot in the West, in Japan, some people describe it as a spectrum. So there's a, a neuroscientist and author, Ken Mogi, Japanese. He says Ikigai is the spectrum of the things that make you feel that life is worth living. And it could be 
very small things, your favorite food, music, writing, um, you know, for grandparents, it's often their grandchildren, yeah. uh, but it can also include life-defining goals. And I think it's it's very relevant to where you are in life. So if you're young, you're not married, and you're you're entrepreneurial, it could be your you know it could be the business you're building, could be your key guy. Um, if you become a new parent, then obviously the most important thing in your life would be your child or your children. But it doesn't have to be, yeah, one thing. And it, you know, to say that, uh, you, you know, you have to be earning money for it to be ikigai is sort of a, a ridiculous statement because, yeah. um, you we, we talked about how you know as much as running your own business and doing your own thing is life affirming, exciting, mm-hmm. um, all these positive things. It's still hard work, and you've got to give up a lot of um, time or dedication or certain things to do that and ikigai is not really something like that ikigai is something that should come naturally to you and is aligned to your values um so that's one way to understand it um i guess there's also two ways to understand it japanese don't talk about it that much and they approach it very casually yeah but as I shared with you, there's also this growing body of research that started in the 1960s. It's very relatable to positive psychology and, of course, intrinsic motivation, which we talked about last yeah. um, last chat. Yeah. yeah, we did, yeah. You spoke about the, obviously, the misconception, right? So it's it's become, I guess, in our culture, the Western culture, it's all about finding your your thing because so many people are unhappy, right, doing what they're doing. I think the last survey or the last study they did, it was around 80% or, or give or take of people who weren't really satisfied with, I guess, their careers and they felt like they wanted to do something else. But I guess they felt trapped or they feel trapped because so they got to go to work, they got to earn money, obviously, to support their lifestyle, their families, etc. Do you think this method, like the Ikigai method, can change people's perceptions of their current circumstances if they implement it the way it's meant to be implemented? So are we talk, we're talking about the Western? Yeah, I'm talking about Western, Western obviously. Yeah. yeah, Most of the people listening to this are from the Western culture, yeah. we thought. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the Western, whether we call it the Purpose Fin Diagram or the Western Ikigai, yeah. I think it's inspiring and i think it's a great way for people to question what are they doing you know what am i doing and it certainly had a positive impact on many people so i've obviously i've done a lot of research on ikigai and often this is the starting point of some conversations and i know for a lot of people it's it's helped them change their profession or it's at least got them thinking about what's what's important to me, you know, financially or professionally or in terms of work. So I think it's inspiring whether or not it's actually how helpful it is. Mm. That's probably where I'd, I'd say it, it maybe it depends on several factors, but I think it's a great... I think it's more inspirational than practical because I, I think we talked about how either a lot of people really don't know what they love yet, mm. or 
maybe they know what they love, but they would not want to spend time trying to sell that. Like, okay, speak to a musician. They love playing the guitar. And, of course, they'd love to be like a professional musician, but m- most won't. But if you said to an aspiring musician, well, why don't you just make, you know, YouTube videos and teach how to play guitar online? Yeah. I've met guys who say that that's like the last thing I want to do. I don't want to spend hours recording myself, setting up a website, doing all that sort of thing. So there's there's that angle. But then I think... In a way, and the irony is what I'm doing <laughs> kind of represents that model. So I'm I'm doing something I really deeply enjoy exploring. So I guess it's yeah. something I love. Um, I guess I'm good at it in, in that I've, I've somehow built a business out of it and I do get paid for sharing my knowledge on Ikigai. Mm. And I guess you could make some argument that it's it's needed by you know the world or by some people so it is possible to use that model but it's very it's it demands a lot of you because you have to learn so i think there's that growth element or that learning element where i wasn't good at teaching ikigai because i didn't know what ikigai was so i then had to learn what is ikigai then i had to learn to be comfortable talking to total strangers and being in front of a camera so I think it's more of a starting point rather than a full methodology. What, what, what do you think? Yeah. Me, I think that, <laughs> I think for the most part, you spoke about values before. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I personally think most people don't know what their values are. I agree, yeah. Okay, so most people live their life uh, subordinating to other people's values. So what's expected of them because of what other people are telling them to do. That was me for a very long time, okay? So I think when you get clear on your values, you need to then, well, then you have this, you've got a basis to make decisions from that then because your role really, I think, is to fulfill your values from most important to least important. That's it. It's pretty simple, right? Um, it's easier said than done though because <laughs> in this world we live in, obviously, there are we have a lot of responsibilities and, you know, there's a lot of pressure. And so, you know, and we've been conditioned a certain way, whether we believe it or not, like since we were born, you know, we live in a system, it's a system, okay? And there are some really good parts of the system. There's order, you know, there's compliance for certain things, which is important as well. But I think sometimes too much compliance without thinking is a negative thing as well, because well, you take away your ability to think for yourself and you never learn to think for yourself. You just do what everyone else is doing because that's what everyone else is doing. And I think that's probably why so many people are unhappy doing what they're doing. I'm just trying to bring the two together, I suppose, and try and work out how this method, uh, the way you understand it, can be implemented so that people can start to move in the right direction if they're unhappy doing what they're doing. And I think that... um, like I said, for a long time, that was me. It wasn't until I got clear on my values as a person. And from there, I was able to, there was a lot of trial and error though. There was a lot of things I yeah. tried. And I think you've got to be prepared to, to try things as well. Exactly, yeah. Fail at things. So it's, it's hard to put a finger on it exactly, but I think once you're clear on your values, then you can start to make some, some decisions from there. 
and you don't have to do anything silly like you know leave your job tomorrow or anything like that <laughs> um i wouldn't suggest you do that i've tried that <laughs> once before and you know it can work but i think there's other ways to do it you don't have to do it that way um you can actually start to think first before you act and at least go through the process you know <laughs> but yeah personally i think that uh we don't have goals like we don't have values and we're not aiming towards anything for the most part which is why we just keep living the same day every day for like 10 years yeah. 20 years 30 years so well who said that was the definition of insanity is doing the same th- I think it was Einstein Albert yeah. Einstein I believe yeah. in quote, but it is man. like I think I think we just get caught up <laughs> in just we're not thinking I agree you've said a few things that really yeah, I think we touched on when we had our private chat, but that idea of values and, and living in integrity with your values or yeah. expressing your values is is what I share as the, sort of the foundation of my program, that are you living integrity with your values like on a daily basis? And as you point out, most people aren't. They're doing something every day they don't want to do. They're in a relationship mm. professionally or personally that they know is wrong but they avoid the the confrontation of solving that problem. And then there are values that we probably feel are unbreakable to us, like being loving and, and, and let's say being honest. Just, I don't want to break those values, but then there are values we wish to aspire to. Yeah. Mm. And maybe we want to, you know, always act with integrity and that's something to aspire to. And maybe some days you get lazy, you get sloppy, and you you, you don't do something properly. And you know, uh, I've done a half-assed job. So you haven't fully acted with integrity. Mm. Or, um, yeah, maybe you, yeah, you avoid the things you know you should be doing. Mm. But as you point out, most people don't even know that this is available to them because they have been conditioned to get a qualification or a skill and then you'll just work. That's what everyone does. Mm. And then the other people who do other stuff, they're kind of delusional or crazy, like, you know, and for some reason we, we buy into that. So I think if it's the Venn diagram or if it's anything that gets you to think about, well, hang on. Is this meaningful? Is is what am I doing? Is this really me going to this job every day? And I I did the same thing. I one day I worked, I walked out on a job. I was breaking point. Mm. And I, I think I had to. I was about to, you know, have a sort of a, a mental breakdown. And I can't tell you how um freeing that was. Yeah. And then afterwards I quickly had to solve. <laughs> that problem, problem of, um, <laughs> i got no money coming in yeah, yeah but so i think you you get to a point where there's this um i mean that was lucky in a way because i, I had no choice but i think if you're in this safe zone where you're getting by it's bearable it's dangerous that that's the worst because that's yeah. when years go by yep um, i couldn't agree more i think that is more dangerous than actually having a go at something and taking what people call a risk. Doing nothing is a risk, by the way, mm. a big risk. I was having this conversation yesterday. At the moment, people that are about to retire, you look at their superannuation, okay? And people are relying on this because, again, the thing was save 
You know, you mm. pay extra in super, put your put your money in super if you can. Now, if you're if you're about to retire, you look at the last you know eighteen months in super, and it's uh, it's taken a pretty big hit. Now, depending yeah. how it's structured and everything, but everyone's lost money, and so by doing nothing, then you got inflation on top of that as well. So, I think they're predicting inflation to peak this month at seven point two or seven point four percent. Is I think it's way beyond that to be honest i reckon it's probably 10 percent or more but that would be like a hundred thousand dollars last year being worth ninety thousand dollars this year like that yeah. that's the buying power so compound that with superannuation and by doing nothing it's very easy you've gone backwards by 50 to 100 grand you know like just by doing absolutely nothing and that the the tragedy is you 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 felt you'd done everything right. Well, yeah, well, in a believed, sense, yeah. safe, right? And you've done everything you've been asked to do, which is fair enough. But there's just one example of, mm. you know, doing nothing being a risk because if you chose to invest your money doing something else, you might have bought property, real estate. That, that's I'm pretty bullish on real estate. I'm biased when it comes to that. That's, that's <laughs> my thing. But, you know, uh, someone might be something different, you know, but, uh, yeah. And that's a risk too, in a sense, but it's, everything's a calculated risk. Yeah, it reminds me um, of, uh, <laughs> actually reminds me of my favourite guitarist who was struggling, Eddie Van Halen, he was struggling with David Lee Roth and, and David Lee Roth wanted to continue to make more cover songs and Eddie was like, no. And he got so frustrated with Eddie that he built his own, uh, with David, that he built his own studio Mm. and said, I'd rather fail making my own music yeah. and continue to do cover songs. Um, so that that's kind of it, isn't it? You you, you want to take an educated, calculated risk. Calculated, doing, yes. doing your own thing. It's not being reckless and saying, all right, mm. I'll just. But And what we need to say, and this is probably, you know, where it gets trick you kind of get sucked in you you'll you'll have all these people say start your own business or do your own thing and you know it's all easy and your life will be great yeah it's it's not. hard man and you'll have a lot of false starts and yeah. you've you've got to have a growth mindset mm. and you've got to do things you've never done before um but when you do that and you continue to do that doing new things becomes so easy and so yeah. exciting. Like, and you think, wow, I'm going to learn a new skill. I'm going to meet some new people and you never know where it could take you. I, and I can't yep. believe what I'm doing. Like, mm. I think I'm in the matrix sometimes. And I was speaking to a guy in Canada this morning and then I've got cohort members from, you know, New Zealand, the States, Dubai, Paris, Amazing. France, yeah. Awesome. And if four years ago you said, oh, Nick, you'll be teaching the Ikigai concept to all these people all over the world, I'll be saying there's no way. Like I, yeah. I'm doing, you know, web design and SEO. That's what I do. So you can definitely change your life. You've just got to find something you really care about and it has that intrinsic element yep. to, keep, to keep you going because if you don't have that intrinsic element, as soon as you come across three, four, five hurdles in a row, you'll probably give up. But if you have that intrinsic element and belief, yep. then you'll persevere. So that's that's really important, I think, for, for anything, a hobby or a business. 
you've, you've got to have that belief and that that it feels right to me. It feels important. You know what, man? You said the word <laughs> curious. I love that yeah, word. Curious, yeah. I'm a very curious person. My mum tells me how curious I was as a kid. <laughs> I think I've never lost that, and I'm grateful I haven't lost that because I watch my kids now, and they're curious as well, and I want them to maintain that curiosity forever. Ask questions, be curious, try things. And I think what you said before, if you're curious, then you will try things. But I think also you won't change unless the pain of actually staying the same outweighs the discomfort of actually doing something that you haven't done before. So that was the game changer for me. I imagined myself in 20, 30, 40 years time and thought, I can't keep doing this. I don't want to be the same because I looked around me and there are people who have done the same thing for 30 or 40 years and they're complaining every day. They're miserable. We see this all the time in the workplace, especially, you know, and it's like, well, I don't want to be that person. And that scared me more than actually <laughs> taking calcul the calculated risk of actually doing something that was a little bit left to center, but something that was in alignment for me, you know, something that was what I wanted to try and, and have a crack at. When you started the Ikigai tribe, you did say though that you embraced a beginner mindset, right? And being yeah. curious changed everything for you. Tell us a bit about that when you started the tribe. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, when I actually thought about, okay, here's this Venn diagram, it's 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 a Western interpretation, then also the concept was very romanticized. So everyone's thinking it's a word from Okinawa and it's the secret to longevity. And I thought, well, everything on Ikigai is either just completely factually wrong or it's been romanticized. And, you know, this voice was saying, well, you should do something about it. And I was thinking, well, I don't know what it is. I'm not qualified. Like, I don't know what it is. And I kind of put it off and a year and a half went by. And then finally, I can remember the day and the thought process. I thought, okay, you know, you're having this internal conversation. I said, all right, I'll, I'll do something about it. I'll start a podcast because so I'd, I'd done podcasts in the past and I knew if I could find an English-speaking professor who was Japanese, who was an expert on the subject matter, then that would be the best way to go. And I found that person and he wasn't very fluent, but he was very courageous. He came on to the first episode. And so that was my intention was just to interview people and me to self-study and, and, learn what it was, not really knowing what would happen. And this started like six months before COVID. Because um, okay. I was I was frustrated with my business. I was bored. I was doing my own business, but I was doing the wrong business for me. And then, yeah, I started, that really helped that one guest. I found another, um, I found another guest who was non-Japanese, but he'd written a book and he was an anthropologist and, mm -hmm amazing guy. And so I, I kept finding all these guests and thought, great, this is, this is happening. And I gained traction fairly quickly. I was getting good feedback. And then within about six, seven, eight months later, I was thinking, wow, I could probably make some sort of course. So I thought I'd make a course and maybe I thought, oh, I wonder if I could build some sort of community too, because this seems to relate to, you know, positive psychology and self-improvement. 
And then, yeah, I had a string of emails, people saying, oh, do you coach coaches on this concept? And do you offer a, a certified coaching program? And I was like, wow, like that's the one lesson I've been told. When the market tells you what they yeah. want, you should yeah. give it to them. But I was also a bit hesitant because I thought, is, you know, is this right? And then I was thinking, what's certification? Like, how do you get a course certified? And I was thinking, yeah. so I spoke to my business mentor and he's like, I said, oh, you just don't certify yourself, do you? And he's like, you know, that's exactly what you do. <laughs> that's <laughs> and that's it. what you should yeah. do. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, accreditations when there's some sort of body or some government um, arm that accredits you with, the, you know, some sort of um what they just accredit your program and saying it's to a certain standard, but anyone can certify any, anything really. And yeah, that came with some hesitation because I thought, well, is this right? You know? And then I, I spoke to the researchers who shared a lot of their content with me on my podcast mm. and they were supportive and, you know, they were both Japanese and they said, yeah, do this. And, you know, it's, we're really grateful if you can get our research out there and, so it kind of serendipitously came together and yeah, I remember the first cohort I had a lady from Dubai who was the first person who contacted me about doing the coaching program. Yeah. I had a psychologist, I had another lady who was a, she had two doctorates, <laughs> a master coach, all these amazing people. And I was thinking, Oh, what have I got myself into? Like, <laughs> I was so nervous before my first cohort. I, I jumped in the shower. I was sweating. And, yeah, it turned out all fine. And two years later, yeah, it's it's still going. And I've, I've grown so much as a person, you know. And mm. I get to meet people like you and make yeah. connections where in the past I just wasn't doing that. So that's how it came about very organically. And it's still evolving and changing. Yeah. That's something else we should share. Like you, you never get to this perfect spot. You, you either, this is what I've learned about Japanese culture, that there's no point where everything stops and it's perfect. Everything's changing. Everything's ephemeral. Either you, you keep thriving or you deteriorate in some way. Yeah. And that's just the, the reality of nature you know the nature of all things I things agree. constantly change so you've got to embrace change as an individual yeah, I agree. yeah yeah well that's the other thing too if you're not growing you're dying everything in <laughs> what's true if it's not growing it's dying so yeah. uh, you said it mate and it's uh that's the other thing too i think that once i realized that for me it's just about growth and if i could just focus on just growing a little bit every day just a little bit just doing something a little bit better each yeah. day. That's what it's all about. And even though the challenges are going to keep coming at you, they're going to, you're going to get thrown, you know, a lot of shit in your face and that's fine. <laughs> the more you're prepared to actually have that mindset and that ability to want to actually tackle those challenges, well, the bigger challenges you can tackle. So you'll be better off in the long term anyway. And you're going to feel better about yourself because that's how confidence is built when you actually do something that you haven't done before. Yeah. Yeah. If you keep doing the same stuff every day, like how can you build confidence? I don't think you can. No, and what's really interesting too is when you develop that habit of trying new things and, and growing, you find people will support you. Like 
you you know you've given me great advice on this new project or this new growth I'm exploring next year mm. or this year next year which is public speaking yeah. and you know you've been encouraging and you've you've given me some resources to look at and so it's amazing once you express an interest in something serendipitously you you bump into people who have mm. some experience or can help you and then, yeah, who knows, a year or two years from now, public speaking will just be another thing I've learnt and, and can do, hopefully, to some degree of proficiency. And then you move on to another area of growth. And yeah. as you write, either, you're right, you either grow or you're, you're dying or you're certainly not progressing. And I guess if you're not progressing in a way, you are dying because you are getting older and you're yeah. not you're not growing, you're you know, as you gain age, you should be gaining e either some some skills or some knowledge. Yeah. Maybe if you're young, maybe some, you know, obviously physical strength or whatever. But you definitely learn and gain wisdom. But it's it's applying that wisdom that really matters, I think, yeah. too. <laughs> it's true. And it's, it's that fear of making a mistake and looking silly, I suppose, like the word failure. Again, not a good word when you're growing up, especially going through school. It's like, if you fail, that's bad. That's got a bad connotation to it. But the reality is you're going to fail at stuff. Like when you try stuff, you're going to suck at it. And so I think it's better to embrace it and to understand that's just part <laughs> of the deal, you know, like don't have unrealistic expectations. Mm. I have goals and aspirations. That's fine. But you got to understand where you're at as well and understand it is a process. And if you just follow the process, like when I started this, it was, I was terrified to start this and it took me a couple <laughs> of years to actually get it going. And when I look back to my first episode compared to the way I would ask you a question now, it's like chalk and cheese, you know, yeah. like, and so, and that'll change again in another 40 or 50 episodes, you know, just because I'll, I'll grow and develop again. So I think you just got to start, like when you've got that inkling, just, just start, do something and I mean, you didn't know that your podcast was going to be responsible for deriving this magnificent yeah, course that you've got now, teaching all these people with yeah, no. these degrees and qualifications. These are high, highly intelligent individuals that have done well in their own right, and yet yeah, you're yeah. actually giving them this concept and getting paid to do it. I mean, how awesome is that, you know? And then, yeah, people perceive me as the expert, and yeah. I'm certainly not the expert I'm, I'm i'm definitely someone knowledgeable and i'm i care about it but you know what you just said that that starting something there's a psychometric tool called the ikigai 9 developed by japanese researchers and it's a way of measuring your level of ikigai and it they call it nine items but they're really just statements and one of the statements is start something new or learn something so if you score, it's a Likert scale, so it's one to five. Mm. So five meaning something that applies to you strongly and one would mean doesn't apply to you at all. And so if you read that statement and it's, a, you know, you, you'd like to start, oh, what's the statement? Start something new or learn something. How mm. does that apply to you? That's like a four or five for me any day of the week. Yeah. And I love starting new things or learning new things. And because, yeah, that's that curiosity, the desire to learn, it's life-affirming. 
you, you feel you're growing and you feel life is good when I learn. Mm. So yeah, starting something new is just the best thing I think. And you never know. Yeah. As you said, you never know where it's going to take you. It could take you somewhere in a couple of years. You'd, you'd never imagine you'd, yeah. you'd be doing the things you're doing. Um, and so that, that kind of ties in with that beginner mindset. Like you, you know, what you know is very limited and you can always relearn. And in the process of relearning, you actually do discover something new that can be, yeah, again, life-changing. And yeah, you, you, you move away from this delusion of the, I call it some, I think it's called destination addiction where you Mm -hmm. think one day I'll get to a spot where I'll be content, happy. There'll be no stress we just don't get there, you know. I'm sure you and I, we we go through bouts of anxiety and stress and yep. all that stuff, probably yeah. more than most people because we, we are taking a risk. And But we get through that and we realise, okay, <laughs> you know, it's probably right to be a little bit anxious, but not as much as I, I should have. And I, mm-hmm. I got through this new challenge. But you yeah. only have that anxiety because you are growing and you you are kind of embracing change um and that's interesting that's one thing that i can't help people with anxiety um because i think we all get anxious when we do things that are new um or there are just some people who are less anxious and mm-hmm. other people who are i don't know just wired to be anxious <laughs> like <Yep>. me so <laughs> yeah the other thing that I think can help with that, though, is surrounding yourself with your own tribe. What I mean by your own tribe is if you're moving in another direction and you're changing gears, then you need to surround yourself in the right proximity for that to happen for a support perspective and also just for a community to lean into that understands you because a lot of people may be close to you, family, close friends even. When you go in through this transition, they might not actually understand what the hell are you doing and why are you doing it? <laughs> and in some cases, why are you doing it in the first place? And they might even think you're a bit nuts for doing it, which <laughs> is fair enough because it might seem that way from, from the outside, but you need those people who actually you can confide in. Absolutely, yeah. So has that been big for you? <laughs> Have you had those mentors or, or coaches even yourself that you can sort of lean into? Yeah, yeah. So throughout, I guess, the last 10, 15 years, I've, I've done my own thing. So whether that's SEO, web design, or yeah. selling on Amazon, or helping Amazon sellers sell on Amazon Japan. And yeah, you, you kind of say something like, oh, I, I'm i an online marketer, just to make it easy. And then people think, oh, you're in IT. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I'll do online marketing. I'm like, oh, so like you set up email accounts for people? No, no, I, I help people sell online. So, you know, when you buy something online, yes, yeah. the sales copy and, and they, they don't really get it. And when they finally do, they go, oh, okay. And that's it. You, yeah. you don't really have a conversation. So you, <laughs> so you do need a group. Yeah. And what was frustrating for me too, even sometimes within a group of marketers, online marketers, or entrepreneurs, I used to sell Japanese. I used to sell to Japanese, so English language products to Japanese. And it was virtually impossible for me to really joint venture or talk to other people because mm-hmm. my market was so niche. Now it's a bit different. Um, yeah, and, and obviously 
we can have this kind of conversation where we can share. And, you know, it's really bizarre for my wife because, <laughs> you know, she'll, she'll speak to her family and they're like, Oh, how's, you know, how's Nick going? Yeah. And he's, you know, he's, Oh, he's, <laughs> he's coaching this word. Like mm-hmm. to them, it's just a word. So mm-hmm. her trying to explain to her, you know, her father, my father-in-law, oh, Nick's, you know, Nick's coaching coaches, Mm. icky guy and they're like what yeah. what's what like this it just seemed bizarre mm. um but as long as i'm looking after her you know he's That's right he's happy so, yeah but yeah i'm sure you went that through that too that you, you've got to have a, a a group of people who understand you and can offer right. encouragement mm. and advice and allow you to you know, occasionally vent your frustrations. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it for sure. I asked you about the podcast and you explained that pretty well and the result of that obviously being the education that you're teaching other people now. But what about the book that you wrote? Iggy Kai. Thank you. I can yeah. Like, let's talk about that. So feel and, li- feel and life worth living. Yeah, feel the life worth living. So Khan, yeah. Khan is the key word here. So Khan yeah. means... Uh, awareness feeling perception emotion so mm-hmm. ikigai is something you feel and so i wanted to really bring that to to the audience or to awareness that you know ikigai is not this sweet spot to achieve ikigai is something you feel you you feel it in a hug with your kids or you you feel it when you're growing um you you feel it when you're engaging in a great conversation or you know you feel it when you have that quiet time to yourself and you can just relax and and play guitar or read a book or and so i also called it kind of to acknowledge the contribution of this amazing lady from the 60s uh, Mirko Kamiya who basically discovered that there are seven ikigai needs and that is uh, life satisfaction, change and growth, which we've just talked about, yeah. um, a bright future, resonance, which is really social affiliation, you know, yeah. re- resonating with others or the environment around you. Yeah. Having a sense of freedom, self-actualization, meaning and value. So she sort of identified there were seven needs for the most that most part that people needed to, to feel ikigai. But she also wrote on the importance of having a strong sense of purpose. And she made it quite clear that it could be humble pursuits, could be cooking, knitting, whatever, yeah. as long as you're doing it uniquely and you have a sense of purpose. Yeah. And I mean, all those speak of positive psychology to me, like all those, those needs. So the book was to, yeah, present her work, present obviously a lot of the research I've been exposed to and I've had that privilege of sharing through my podcast in the book, share some personal stories that mm. I could have now realized are strongly related to Ikigai. Like my father-in-law, he's a he's a master potter. He makes traditional tea ceremony cups. Um, and so he gets into states of flow and he creates these beautiful things. So there's stories about that. And it was also, again, this challenge for me, you know, this way to grow because I I struggled in school. I needed to do extra English. I 
I can't spell. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, my wife would say, oh, Nick, how do you spell this? And I'd say, <laughs> just Google it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a real challenge. And I, even now I still have hesitation and not a strong belief in my abilities to, you know, to write, but writing the book was really important. And it's amazing. If you have something you care about, you'll, you'll find a way. Mm. And again, you'll get support. And I had an incredible editor help me who's actually a member of my community. She was in my first cohort and she basically edited my book for free. So very lucky. Things sort of just come together, you know. And it's really tied to people too. We we should highlight that that your your growth and often the when you feel icky guy, it's all about these relationships. Um, it's it's this intimacy. Well, we're having intimacy now. It's like this right. intellectual intimacy. Um, so there's there's experiential, there's creative intimacy, there's intellectual, there's emotional. So I often relate ikigai to intimacy, this this feeling of connection. Yep. And yeah, you summed it summed it up well. Like, yeah. What what you just said reminds me of or gratitude or being in a state of gratitude, mm. everything you described, those those seven things, to me, it's like just being grateful and present in the moment, but also vibrating as well, like at a frequency where you're actually, you know, you're feeling alive, you feel something inside of you that's, um, that's buzzing in a sense, you know. So I'm a huge believer in that. Like, I believe in a higher power. I'm not necessarily religious, but... I definitely believe in something and yeah to me it's about getting yourself in the right state you know the right vibrational frequency and i believe everything you just said for me um translates to that anyway if that makes more sense so yeah well that could be the resonance part because it yeah. is like if you go out and walk in nature something happens so the whole whole of you, you you calm down, you feel more relaxed, and you know you just I don't take my phone, so I'll, I'll go on a walk. I have this wonderful walking track, and then it's so healing to to go there. Mm. And it's like when you go to a rock concert, there's a different energy, there's a different vibration, and you've got this group of people all enjoying and living this experience, and. Yeah, you can't calm down after that for an hour. You're still in that heightened state yeah. of vibration or resonance. So yeah, that that doesn't sound weird to me at all. Like we, we do vibrate or we feel an energy, and it's always in flux, always changing. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a real thing. And if you haven't explored this before, you're hearing about this for the first time. It might seem really weird, and it's like woohoo, but. <laughs> like it's science science is even proving this now you know like you know, quantum physics you know thoughts are things you know we're just a, a frequency and basically it's up to us to then elevate our frequency to a certain level if we want to achieve something or we want to do something and i'm, I'm sure everyone's experienced the time where they've walked into a room and they meet someone and it's like wow they, they love this person and they haven't even spoken to them like <laughs> they might just be around them but they can feel a sense mm. of they feel it yeah that's the yeah. frequency right and the opposite too where you hang around <laughs> people, you go you know i don't want to hang around that person yeah. 
It's too it's hard. Right? <laughs> the, the other day, my wife and I, we, we, we have two butchers where we live. For some bizarre reason, we, we walked into the wrong one. And we, we don't usually go to the butcher. We just go to the supermarket. <laughs> and as soon as we walked in, I thought, oh, my God, someone's died here. Like, yeah. th- this is the place of a serial killer. It just felt so, there was something really weird. It just felt incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. And we're like, oh, God, we've got to order something now. So we ordered something. <laughs> and I left with my wife. And I just turned to her and said, that was really scary for you. Like that was really scary. And she's going, yeah, yeah, that was yeah, okay. scary. So there is something about energy or vibe or resonance or connection. <laughs> so when your body's warning you to <laughs> leave, <laughs> leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, scary. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure everyone's been through it before anyway. So hopefully people know what I'm talking about, but I'm getting mindful of time now. We're coming yeah. up to about an hour. I just want wow. to ask you one final question, which I ask everyone, and that is about being limitless and what it means to you. So I, I thought about this question. I thought limitless means to use your imagination, your unique imagination to express your creative self because I think once you start doing that, yeah, it means you can pretty much, you know, you're creating something. So there's no limit. You're you're actually creating something new, whether that's artistically, music or, you know, poetry or, you know, writing a book, whatever, or um, even professionally. And, you know, you can create a coaching program that's totally unique or you can start a service or you can sell food and and create food that's unique so i think it's that ex- yeah expressing yourself using your unique imagination is limitlessness to me yeah, yeah. awesome nick <laughs> love it mate it's been awesome to chat with you how do people contact you if they want to find out more about what you do what's the best way they could do that mate sure they can just go to ikigaitribe.com or I'm sort of getting into Twitter now. So just my full name, Nicholas Kemp, K-E-M-P, is my handle. But probably ikigaitribe.com or ikigaikan.com as well. Yeah. I've got the domain for that, and that's all about the book. Awesome, mate. Thanks again, Nick. And, yeah, I love your work. love what you're doing. And like I said, I was one of the people that had no idea that <laughs> I was looking at this the completely, well, completely wrong anyway. So thanks for clarifying that. And I'm sure we'll cross paths again, man. Thank you so much, Simon, for having me on. Yeah, and I look forward to when we can catch up in person and have a drink and a, another yeah. chat. Let you know, man. I'll, <laughs> I'll be coming to Melbourne probably early next year, to be honest. All right, so, yeah, well, I'll let's let you do know. that. Cheers, awesome. mate. Good on you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.